0: The complexity of the development process has allowed the adversaries to find a way to get in without being noticed. And so that's exactly what happened at SolarWinds and 3CX as well as other places. So the complexity of how modern software is built today, now it's much better than it used to be. It's a lot more automation. It happens at a very rapid pace so you can get things out the door quickly. But at the same time, it's allowed for some of these supply chain attacks to happen.
1: Welcome to the future of application security, a podcast for ambitious leaders who want to build a modern and effective AppSec program. Doing application security right is really hard. Now I'm going to help you build a better future of AppSec at your company by curating the lessons from the leaders. I'm your host, Harshal Park, CEO of Tromso. And without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Future of Application Security. Today, I have Dave Ferguson with me. Dave is a Director of Product Management at Reversing Labs. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks, Harshal. It is great to be here with you. Dave, it's been incredible knowing you for such a long time. And as I was saying earlier, you're one of the first AppSec people I've known in my career. I started my career journey and we were together and working in the same company. So it's incredible for me to host you on this show today. I would love for the audience to also get to know you a little bit more, get to know your background. So maybe talk to us about what do you do at Reversing Labs, but more importantly, where did you start your journey in security and how has it evolved over a period of time? Yeah, thanks, Marshall. It's great to
0: reconnect with you. We saw each other at Black Hat last August, which was great. I had not seen you in such a long time, but at Reversing Labs, I work on our software supply chain security product. And so I'm focused on building capabilities for software producers, Dev teams, DevOps teams to help automate the security testing and the scanning that we provide. You know, in CI/CD pipelines, artifact repos, integrations, whatever it is, to get our capabilities into the hands of software developers and producers. So I've been on board about nine months here, but my journey has been pretty interesting. That they got me here when I worked with you, which was gosh, seventeen years ago. <laughs> as a, on the consulting side, I was on the AppSec consulting team. You were on a different team, but we worked together for a couple of years. And at that time, that was actually the start of my second career. My first career was a software developer. So I was an application developer, wrote code in C++ and Java. Early 2000s, started to get interested in security and uh, made that transition to application security in 2006 as a consultant. So at that time I was doing a lot of assessments. So thinking at it from an attacker perspective, offensive side, you know pen testing applications finding vulnerabilities writing reports for our clients it wasn't really hard to find issues back at that time and then i kind of moved on it took another role on the sales side of solutions architect with Vericode. then i became a product manager with Qualys, and i worked for saber corporation as an appsec engineer so i've had a lot of different roles in appsec and i had always been chasing the vulnerabilities right find the vulnerabilities fix the vulnerabilities quash the vulnerabilities And then in 2020, this thing called SolarWinds happened. It was a supply chain attack where SolarWinds as a software producer ended up sending out an infected release and compromised 18,000 of their customers. You know, including we're talking Microsoft, FireEye, federal agencies, company, really solid security programs and companies that probably thought they had quashed their vulnerabilities and were not vulnerable. And it turns out they got popped because of this supply chain attack. So that kind of piqued my interest. I'm like, hmm, all these years I've been chasing vulnerabilities. And yet this attack happened and 18,000 companies got infected with no vulnerability being exploited. It was a pure software supply chain attack. And then earlier this year, or I should say in 2023, 3CX supply chain attack occurred. Different technical details around that. But again, it was a supply chain attack where in that case, over 100,000 users got infected. So as these things started to happen, I thought, you know what, I haven't been paying attention to the world of malware and APTs and supply chain attacks. And it turns out that that's become a really important part of the entire cybersecurity ecosystem. And uh, Reversing Labs has some really interesting technology. It's been around for more than 15 years, very mature, but uh, they come from malware analysis and threat hunting side. But applying this mature technology to software supply chain now. And so Analyze doing static binary analysis on software packages to identify things like known malware, behavioral indicators that could indicate a malware. So really unique kind of solution out there. Software supply chain security means a lot of different things to a lot of different people, but we have some technology to really help do a final exam on your software before you release it to make sure everything looks kosher and you don't have anything to be concerned about in your release.
1: right. Right. And uh, your role is also a little bit different at Reversing Labs, right? So you're not doing assessments and pen testing or AppSec anymore. You are on the product side of the house. How is that different? Yeah,
0: my second (laughs) turn is is a product manager. And so as a product manager, you're looking for ways to build capabilities and features and integrations that make your technology accessible to development teams, product security teams, DevOps engineers, anything to help them with their job, which is to make sure they're releasing software that's free of undesirable things like malware and and vulnerabilities and, and stored secrets and things like that. So it's my job to kind of look at the landscape, figure out what can we build from a product perspective to really help our customers.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. So it's a little bit different than doing the assessments and reviews and helping developers yourself, but now you're putting that experience and that insight into building a product that gets used by your customers. A lot of times when I talk to security teams, security engineers, they are not very close to product management function, right? I mean, if you're a security operator, you don't really understand exactly how product management works. There's also some confusion around project management, program management versus product management. Obviously, I understand the difference and I know you understand the difference. But if somebody is a security operator, let's say, you know, running an AppSec team or a cloud security team, do they ever need product management skills in-house within the security operations team? Or is it just enough to have, you know, sort of a program management kind of a function to keep things running and govern things? Yeah, I think
0: the program management is what you would need there. But where someone like myself, a product manager, would, would get involved is if if the security tooling you're using, the products that you're using as part of your job are hindering you in some way, or there's a weakness or a hole that you want that particular product to fill, that's where you'd reach out to the product manager on that solution to give your feedback and let them know that, hey, I'm customer, I like your product, but it's missing this feature. So that's where someone like me would jump on a call, listen to what your concern is and what your kind of feature request is and try to get that in our roadmap for a future release to help meet your needs as as our customer.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so if I'm running a security team and my team is building my own in-house open source tooling and we are using open source and building our own whatever, and I need feature requests within my own internal tooling that I'm building as a security engineer or a CISO, then potentially maybe I would need product management skills to help drive the roadmap of the things that I'm building. But basically, what you're saying is the job of the product manager is to really understand what the needs are, what the use cases are, and prioritize things, build those things out, help get the teams, build those features and capabilities out, whether it's an internal tooling that the security team is working on, or whether it's a commercial product like Reversing Labs or Tromza. That's right. And the product manager skill set is really multifaceted in that.
0: You need to be able to work with development teams in-house who build the product. You need to be able to work with marketing to put the message out about the product. You have to meet with customers and prospects to understand what their needs are, to make sure your product is fulfilling those. So um, there's a lot of different pieces and parts to the role. So it's almost, for me, it's like a kind of a culmination of everything I've done, where I was a developer, I was a consultant, I've been on the sales side. You know, I've was. i also been on enterprise security team. As an AppSec engineer so i've kind of had a lot of different roles that have contributed to my ability to do the product management job that's
1: amazing yeah so if you translate that into a typical security teams function then let's say the security team is building some script or some sort of tooling in-house for their security team and uh, the company's engineers or developers to use then you would have this product manager who's obviously working with the security team's developer resources, whoever is actually writing the code to build those things out, but also working with the developers or the engineers or the infrastructure engineers or the cloud engineers to figure out how are you actually using this tool that the security team is building. So that in-house security team product management function basically takes those requirements from their customers, which will be the dev team or the cloud team or whatever, and drive the roadmap internally for the security tooling. I feel like, you know, when I talk to a lot of these larger companies who build a lot of in-house tooling, and we've seen a lot of those companies even open source security tooling because they built it internally, they have very, very good technical resources to build those things out, but they lack this product management function to serve their customers. And this is very common within security teams because security teams are typically not used to building their own software. They write scripts and they write glue but they're not used to building this software. So the software of the product building and deploying and management functionality doesn't really exist. There are some companies like Netflix, I think, who've hired product management people for maintaining their own internal security tooling. But that's very, very rare. It doesn't happen. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and even the documentation aspect around a product, I mean, you want it to, to be useful to your end users, of course, but you also need to document what it does, how to use it, without that, it's less likely to succeed. So it's a big all-encompassing picture when it comes to product management.
1: Yeah, phenomenal. So let's switch gears a little bit. And you talked about supply chain security is the thing that got you excited a few years ago. What has happened in the past few years? What have you seen? Supply chain security, you talked about, you know, the malware aspects of things and, and reversing labs and adding a lot of value there. How do you see customers or how do you see typical security teams dealing with supply chain issues and what are those issues? Yeah. So I
0: think the rise of these software supply chain attacks in the recent years have kind of been caused by the way modern software is built today. And it's changed over time. Like back when I was a developer, there really wasn't such a thing as uh, CI/CD pipelines, open source repos. Those were th- just getting started by the time I was leaving the development world. And one thing that has happened is a lot of this stuff is automated and pieces of software are taken and assembled into a into a package. And it happens in an automated way. There's a lot of moving parts. In other words, there's your source repos, there's open source components that get pulled in. You know, there's the CI-CD tools allow you to script things, to do testing and all sorts of things. So the complexity of the development process has allowed the adversaries to find a way to get in without being noticed. And so that's exactly what happened at SolarWinds and 3CX, as well as other places. So the complexity of how modern software is built today, now it's much better than it used to be. It's a lot more automation. It happens at a very rapid pace so you can get things out the door quickly. But at the same time, it's allowed for some of these supply chain attacks to happen. And so that part's been been very interesting to me. It's like, I think the supply chain attacks are very tied to the software development and the nature of how it's done today. And then there's just the fact that every year goes by, more and more software gets created. Like it's just a high volume, activity right now, and and every company is a software company now. So supply chain attacks, I think, are only going to continue. The reason for that is just very challenging. And there's a lot of talk about software supply chain security now. You know, for some people, it means making sure your open source components aren't vulnerable. For other folks, it means you you start with a secure base container image, and that's, you know, safe and clean. For others, it means you've locked down your build environment. So it's, you know, you have strong authorization, access control, limited uh, privileges on who can do what. All that is part of it. What we do at Reversing Labs is we kind of say, okay, whatever has happened in the development process to get to a final software artifact, you want to know, is that final software artifact secure and not compromised in any way? And so we specialize in doing that static binary analysis on that final artifact. You know, looking for things like, uh, like I mentioned before, known malware, but the behavioral aspect is really important. I had a talk at LASCON in October about using software behaviors to identify malware, and including novel malware attacks, because the SolarWinds, 3CX, those were not like known, you know, there weren't any signatures for those attacks. They're very novel. However, if you looked at the behaviors of the software, you would have noticed some red flags. And uh, especially when it becomes really powerful is when you can do the analysis on a differential basis. So in other words, you scan a piece of software, you get back you know, 300 different behaviors that this software does. That in itself doesn't really tell you anything because just software can do a lot of different things and just the nature of it. But if you look at a differential between the previous build or the previous release of that software, what new behaviors have been introduced? And that's where it can become really powerful. And if you can even automate that differential analysis of the behaviors, and say, hey, our scan has identified a new behavior that wasn't in the previous version. You might want to look into this. And if our tooling and our product can surface that information, that gives it a really powerful way to identify novel software supply and change attacks. So nobody wants to be the next SolarWinds or 3CX and you know, infect your paying customers. It's kind of like the worst case scenario. So we take a different approach. We do the final build exam, essentially final exam on that build or on that piece of software. And like I said, the technology we're using is mature. It's been around for 15 years at the company. So it's just being, we're just applying a software supply chain aspect to that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think it's, there's a lot of parallels to the traditional malware analysis versus applying a similar technology to a newer use case. And that would potentially cover a lot of the known unknowns here, or even the unknown unknowns here. You just don't know. Exactly. So in terms of supply chain, there was a lot of conversation about supply chain security over the past couple of years. Have you seen trends in addition to what you just mentioned, but like, are you seeing a lot of organizations securing their build environment or using the CICD top 10 security controls or... Focusing more on S bombs, or like what exactly is the majority of the effort going in based on your perspective? Yep, I was just going to say S bomb. So, a lot of our
0: customers are asking, you know, we need S bombs. Our customers are asking for S bombs, or we're a government customer and they need S bombs. FDA, especially, is demanding S bombs. So, that's been a really big part of it. But it's kind of a, in the bigger picture, it's about software transparency. Mm -hmm. So there's there's really kind of a movement happening for having radical transparency in software and it's kind of a growing theme that you're going to be seeing. And I think in five years it's going to be kind of the norm. And in fact, we kind of expect that there may be, you know, right now we have registries for open source components and, and there's also kind of these repositories out there that, that rate open source components in terms of health. Like, is it a healthy open source component? Is it is it being developed? Does it have active maintainers and whatnot? There's nothing like that really today for commercial software. But I think eventually there'll be these trust registries develop where software producers are going to actually put their software out there and it's going to include an bomb. And as a possible customer of this software, you'll be able to kind of review the SBOM. It'll allow the software producer to include annotations like VEX annotations or VEX statements within the SBOM to, you know, if there is a vulnerability, you know, why are they not vulnerable? CISA has a self-attestation form that they're about ready to release for software producers. So that'll probably be part of it. There may be third-party companies that want to come in and and do an assessment of a software and then provide a report as part of that trust registry so in other words more of a centralized registry for not just open source but commercial software and that's in the kind of the umbrella of this software transparency movement that we're seeing
1: right so so just to continue that conversation i think it is super interesting if you're talking about software transparency across the board and I see this, like, if this actually does materialize into something meaningful in the industry, this has huge implications across the board, right? This is kind of like the socks momentum for the finance industry where government regulation came in and asked every single public company to say, you have to comply with these financial transparency regulations. You'll be held accountable for it. In a kind of similar way, the SEC's actions against SolarWinds CISO is kind of similar, like they are holding people accountable for transparency of security information. And now if there is regulation that requires transparency for software builders, it could have very far-reaching implications in terms of what is the expected job of a CISO? What is the expected rigor and transparency and accountability that security teams have to establish within the organization? So when you're saying CISA is driving some of these things, can you share some insight into what are those upcoming things in terms of driving transparency?
0: Yeah, there's a s- attestation form. Actually, I think I have it up here. It's a self-attestation form for software producers. So it's currently in a review stage. So it's gone through a draft review, an initial review, and reversing Labs provided some comments on that. But it's, it's called the Secure Software Self-Attestation Common Form. And the draft was put out November 16th, and it's a PDF that you can take a look at. It's open for comments now, but that's something to where down the road, software producers are gonna be expected to do this self-testation, fill out this form. And that's something that I expect, kind of like an bomb, will be provided with a piece of software, mm. um, or expected to be provided with a piece of software. So product team, product security teams, I think you're gonna to have to get used to this new world where they're gonna to have to be providing not just the software, but sort of metadata around their software. Like, okay, here's the SBOM that goes with our software. Um, here's the attestation form that we completed for this. Those type of things.
1: That's incredible. It is great, exciting for me. Like if I put my security practitioner hat on, this would be great for me to take the form across the company and say, hey, dev teams or cloud teams, this is what as a company we are supposed to sign off on. And we need you all to buy into this. So let's get this, let's prioritize these security initiatives, right? Like it said, it's a great way. It's a great leverage to drive security agenda. Absolutely. And I think the supply chain attacks that have happened recently
0: have have been a big part of the, or Sean, one of the driving forces behind all this. And it is a kind of a government-sponsored movement. So I, I don't know that people are going to get away from it.
1: Right, right. Yeah, it is still a recommendation, though, unless it requires people to fill it out or produce it. Hopefully, soon enough, it becomes common practice and uh, commercial industry also starts uh, expecting this as a part of the norm of buying software and and selling software. And then hopefully it becomes a normal way to exchange security information and transparency. Yeah, it is a big change. Like you said, it's going to evolve. It's not going to happen overnight. But...
0: I think it has to happen just because of the sophistication of the attacks that are happening out there. And then you have AI coming, the adversaries are leveraging AI and the defenders are going to have to as well. So it's an interesting time and place right now in software security.
1: So that's amazing. Awesome. So we talked about a lot of stuff. I wanted to get an idea of how do you think this space will evolve over a period of time, especially since, you know, you've been in AppSec for what 17, 18 years and you've seen a lot. What's upcoming that you think is is the next step of evolution for this space? For one, I think it's not gonna just be about vulnerabilities anymore. In fact, you know, the Gardner Magic
0: Quadrant for application security testing has been around for many years now. And I think it's actually starting to lose a little bit of its relevance. And I'm hoping what Gardner does is sort of change that to the software supply chain Magic Quadrant <laughs> because it's not enough anymore to be only looking at vulnerabilities. In fact, one of my colleagues here at Reversal Labs likes to say that the greatest trick that malware ever pulled was convincing AppSec tools that it didn't exist. So in other words, you can throw your SAST, your DAST, your SCA at your application. It won't find the malware because malware isn't a vulnerability. It's just code that does a certain thing. That thing happens to be malicious. It's just those tools won't be able to recognize that it's malicious. You know, it'll be able to find a SQL injection vulnerability or, or whatnot. But the thing is, looking for vulnerabilities just isn't enough anymore. So I think that eventually you're going to, you're going to see less about vulnerabilities. I mean, vulnerabilities, we still have to be concerned about them, of course, but it's just not enough anymore. So I think there's going to be some recognition of that. And then also the evolution that we just talked about in terms of software transparency, it's not enough anymore just to have a vendor you know, fill out a form to say, oh, our our software is secure, we develop in a secure way. There's going to actually be some, need to be more meat behind it, including potential customers who want copies of the software before they buy it so they can run their own tests on it. In fact, we we have a couple of customers doing that today. They're consumers of software and they're using our static binary analysis to test their vendor's software. And I think that's going to become more common as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way to think about how the whole software supply chain ecosystem will exist. There will be more rigor. We all know it. There will be more rigor when you're transacting software, whether it's SaaS or something that you install in your environment. It's awesome. Well, Dave, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I really, really appreciate you getting on this and enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure we'll get you on this again. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: I really enjoyed it, Harshal. Again, it's great to reconnect with you after all these years. Hope to see you soon again.
1: Thanks for listening to The Future of Application Security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.